Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of SIDcast. I'm your host David Gibson and today I have the River States Conference SID of the Year, Kyle Wright from IU East, a little bit north of me because I like my Hoosier guys, uh, up in Richmond, Indiana. So before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to say uh, we are on our campaign to 500 likes on Facebook and Twitter. You can find us using backslash sportsinfocast or at sportsinfocast on Twitter. And always email us and like, subscribe, download, and review us on iTunes as well. The email will be sportsinfocast at gmail.com. And as always, you can, like I said, leave a review. We're proud to announce that we have an average rating of five stars over on iTunes. So thank you everyone who has both left a review and a rating and again, it just shows that it just takes a couple seconds just to get a 5, a 4, 3, 2, 1. I mean, it's really up to you. If you hate this, give it a 1. If you love it, give it a 5 or a 4. Uh, it doesn't really bother me. But um, So yeah, today we will get into Kyle Wright's interview. Kyle uh, was a tennis player at Valparaiso. Um, he's big into Wimbledon. We will talk about that. Uh, he was named River States Conference SID of the Year, as I said. And the River States Conference is actually a pretty interesting conference. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, where the longest, or the conference, I should say, with the, they kept their name the longest, about 100 years from 1916 to 2016, when the Kentucky Intercollegiate Athletic Conference didn't really become the Kentucky anymore. We'll talk about that. There are uh, some member institutions in Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, some in Kentucky, and as far north as Kokomo, Indiana, which is north of Indianapolis, for those of you who don't know your Indiana geography. But, um... He was part of the, a little bit of the rebranding that the KIAC took to becoming the River States Conference. We'll also talk about what it means to be named the RSC SID of the year. As always, you can, like I said in the beginning of this, uh, you can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter as our campaign to 500 followers using backslash sports infocast. And just be on the lookout for August when we start our new show, Go Big Cast. It will be specifically for, well, I won't say specifically. I'm sure there are some people that will use it in, in other aspects. It will be for college athletic marketing. There will be some digital media strategy people uh, and a, and a uh, I think it's a, an assistant athletic director of ideation. Idea and an Asian. Uh, he'll be coming on. He'll be one of the first th- three episodes that will be launched on August 1st. So be sure to check it out. So we'll start off today with Kyle Wright's background and his degree in journalism that led him to becoming the River States Conference SID of the Year here on SIDcast. Well, uh, from the rural area of Richmond, Indiana, which is... uh, Basically, we tell people it's the place where people stop and eat right before they either go into Ohio or the place they stop and eat when they're (laughs) coming back into Ohio because it's right on Interstate 70. Uh, I attended Northeastern High School, which is a rural school a bit north of Richmond. Uh, The earliest that I knew I was going to go into... At the time, it was going to be sports writing because I was actually uh-huh. in newspaper sports writing for a long time before making the move to SID world. Uh, but once I was pretty sure that I wasn't going to be a pro tennis player, which I guess would have been my first choice, uh, my mother, it was almost an offhand comment, uh, but I was in about seventh grade and I was playing double dribble, uh, which you may, <laughs> I don't know if you're even familiar with that game, it was on oh. the Nintendo systems. Yeah. Um, but I'd be. Uh, basically doing play-by-play and doing game recaps of, of that, which now that I look back on it, maybe not was going on in every household in America on their own video games. But uh, my mom made the point, like, you know, if you enjoy sports so much and you enjoy writing so much, maybe it makes sense for you to be a sports writer. So from seventh grade, for quite some time, the mission was to be a sports writer. I was lucky enough, I had really good mentors in high school. Uh, they let me be part of the school paper at a younger age than most students were at my school. Uh, they let me be part of the yearbook at a younger age than most students were at my school. So I had a couple extra years under the, under the belt at that point. Uh, then went on to Valparaiso University. Uh, they didn't have a journalism major at the time, uh, but they had communications and they let you create individualized majors. So what I did was I added a whole bunch of writing and, well, a whole bunch of writing classes and took out a whole bunch of radio and TV classes. Uh, if I could go back in time, I would stop my younger self from doing that because, as it turns out, all writers need to be able to do radio and TV stuff while they're at it. But um, 
that was my major, uh, journalism. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be uh, the editor of the school paper for all three of my years there. Uh, the Sweet 16 run that Valpo had, uh, the Bryce Drew game-winning right. shot that we see on TV ad nauseum every March Madness, uh, that happened during my sophomore year, uh, and I was at the school paper at the time. I was on the tennis team, so I wasn't actually at the games in person when those things happened. Uh, I do remember we were actually in Daytona Beach rough life uh when the the first tournament game happened and i had actually played so badly and this wasn't on purpose i swear but i played so badly uh in the first few days of the trip that i actually got taken out of the lineup that day so i got to listen to the game uh in our van uh, while the rest of the team was playing because the we were all big sports fans they wanted updates um and when uh bryce drew hit the, the game winning shot i with sprinting out of the vans, I probably interrupted a couple of matches. Like, guys, we won. We uh, hit some sort of game-winning shot at the end. I didn't see it. It was all audio, uh, so I didn't exactly see how the play happened. Uh, but for that reason, I was the only member of our tennis team that actually heard that happen live. Uh, and then uh, since I was in the position of being editor of the sports editor of the school paper, um, we put together all of our articles and photos from that year, and we actually made a 64-page book uh, over that summer. Uh, called it the sweetest thing because it was uh, about the Sweet 16 run, um, and that was a nice little thing to have uh, going into job interviews once I graduated right. from college. Uh, not a whole lot of people are able to uh, walk into their first interview and slap down a 64-page book in addition to their clippings. So that was a a really nice uh, leg up going into when I left college. Uh, first job uh, a few months in uh, Crawfordsville, Indiana. Uh, mm-hmm. was there was a two-person sports staff, and I was the, the second person on the totem pole. Um, left after three months uh, for the Lafayette uh, Journal and Courier, which was basically one county north. Uh, that's where Purdue University is lo- located, so it was a chance to get into cover- covering some Purdue things. Um, a story I don't tell a whole lot of people, but uh, um, I had actually seen the movie Never Been Kissed with Drew Barrymore, Um the part that struck me was the first five minutes. Uh, her character is a copy editor at the Chicago Sun-Times right out of college. And at the time, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm not a copy editor at the Chicago Sun-Times. I must be doing something wrong, uh-huh. which was not – I had no need to be thinking that way. Uh, that was not necessarily good <laughs> advice. Uh, but that's why I moved so quickly. Uh, there was absolutely nothing wrong in Crawfordsville. But Drew Barrymore said I should be in Chicago at the age of 22, so by God, I had to do something to try to move in that direction. So that was the reason for that move. I was in uh, Lafayette for five years um, and then got married during that time. There is a small paper on the Florida Panhandle uh, called the Crestview News Bulletin. Uh, They actually had just started a sports department, um, and five years in at Lafayette, I was still the, the youngest person on the totem pole. Uh, and it didn't look like that was going to change for good reasons. The people I was working with were good workers, but at the same time, that didn't leave a whole lot of uh, upward mobility. Uh, so, and it was in an area of Florida where my wife and her family had vacationed for more than two decades. So, uh, made that move was basically, I was the sports section at the Crestview News Bulletin, uh, worked at newspapers on the Florida Panhandle for about four years. Uh, they are also at the Pensacola News Journal, uh, all in sports, then went back to, uh, the Crestview newspaper as the editor-editor. Uh, that was my first foray into the news side of things. Um, about that time, our, our son was born. Uh, my family was still in uh, East Central Indiana. Uh, my wife's family is also from East Central Indiana. Also, this is when the Great Recession hit, so things they weren't going so great for newspapers even before the right. Great Recession hit, but that's the point where things really accelerated. Um, I won't go into detail, but uh, obviously uh, newspaper jobs are getting fewer and uh, farther between. Um, so that's the point where I started looking for sports information type jobs. Uh, one, I wanted to get back into sports uh, since I'd been covering news. Didn't mind it. Uh, the part I didn't like and still don't like to this day um, was uh, calling families of people who had tragedies happening. Right. Nine times out of ten, they didn't mind. Uh, nine times out of ten, they were actually happy to talk about their loved one. Uh, but that one time out of ten, they tended to call you human garbage for wanting to call so quickly. And there were a lot of times I kind of agreed with them. I just yeah. never developed the stomach for that part of the job. So uh, thankfully in sports, that doesn't happen a whole lot. I mean, knock on wood. Uh, and then 
you know, uh, sports information as a profession was growing, whereas uh, newspaper jobs in general were and still are shrinking. Uh, so that was the reason for looking to make that type of move. Uh, at that time, Indiana University East, uh, where I am now, uh, they had just started at varsity sports two years before I was kind of looking around, and uh, they were looking to have essentially a full-time SID for the first time. Uh, one thing led to another, the timing, uh, the opening all fit, uh, and made that move in 2009, and uh, here I am eight years later. It's uh, been a, a great fit for me, and I'd like to think a good fit for IU East as well. So you're a Valpo graduate. Um, I have to ask real fast, because I know we talked about it a little bit off air, but uh, what do you feel about Valpo going to the Missouri Valley? As it's Every move they've made has worked, because when they made the move to the Horizon League, um, not that my opinion mattered one bit, but I was uh, – Against it at the time, because uh, we, if you don't mind my saying we, but we weren't uh, going great guns in the what is now the Summit League at the time. H- had had a pretty dominant run five years prior to that, but then kind of a lull. I was like, good gracious, we're not doing so hot in the Summit League. We're going to get killed in the Horizon League. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's kind of a combination. I know more resources were put into it. Um, I know that uh, there's a thing where you'll rise to whatever occasion you're placed in. I think that was part of it, too. Um, and obviously, Coach Bryce Drew did a heck of a job during the, the time he was there. We hate to see him go, but uh, obviously got a good thing going at uh, Vanderbilt, and that's a, a move you kind of have to make. So anyway, uh, I was against the Horizon League move, but it worked out. They really rose to the occasion. Um, moving to the uh, Missouri Valley, someone did a study. I guess it actually is a little more travel, believe it or not, even though uh, mm-hmm. it seems like more of a Midwest-based league. But I think the, the rivalries are maybe more traditional than – what it was in the the Horizon League, um, so and there's obviously more of a history of at-large basketball bids coming from the Missouri Valley than there are from the Horizon League, especially with Butler long out of the picture as far as getting at-large bids. Right. So uh, every move that they made has been a good one. Uh, believe it or not, someone's done the the work on the travel, and it's not necessarily saving anything there. But uh, um, the Crusaders rose to the occasion the last time they made a move, and I like to think they'll do the same again. So when you first came to IU East, like you said, they had just started athletics two years prior. Um, for people that don't know, IU East is a part of a huge uh, Indiana University system that has started athletics. Um, can you go ahead and detail this just giant network that has arisen from uh, Indiana as far as IU satellite campuses are concerned? Sure. Now, obviously, I can speak better to IU East than I can to the other uh, regional campuses. Uh, IU Southeast in particular, they have a, a very long tradition in varsity athletics. Um, so they kind of, they're our rivals. <laughs> uh, sometimes I cringe to say anything too good about them, but they really did pave the way for the, the other regional campuses that uh, have developed NAIA programs later. Uh, as far as IU East is concerned, uh, if we were having this conversation 10 years ago, I would probably actually be one of the younger people on campus. At the time, uh, it was uh, commuter-based, uh, not traditional students-based, and uh, without getting too much into detail, some things happened that it became clear that it was going to be more beneficial mm-hmm. to have a traditional student base. In other words, students coming right out of high school. Uh, and, okay, so what is everything you can do to attract traditional students? And one of those things, of course, is varsity intercollegiate athletics. So uh, the club teams already existed, but that was the reason for the move to the NAIA. Uh, and without having worked at IU Kokomo or IU Northwest or IU South Bend or the other uh, schools with the IU name that offer NAI athletics, Got to believe the reason was pretty similar as well. Uh, it was just uh, beneficial as far as the state funding model to have uh, the more students, uh, obviously the more students the better, in particular the more students out of high school, uh, the better for funding purposes. Uh, what are the things you can do to attract students uh, coming right out of high school? Uh, athletics, uh, not only for the people that are going to play them, uh, but also to give people a reason to stay here once they're there. Uh, we have them, obviously we want students to compete, uh, but we also want students that maybe don't compete in athletics to have something to do while they're here, uh, such as going to watch the volleyball game or going to watch the basketball games. And uh, uh, So it's really taken off, not just to IU Southeast kind of paved the way here at IU East and uh, um, the other regional campuses, IU Northwest, IU South Bend, IU Kokomo, uh, as far as the NAI level, um, that's been kind of the impetus for, for that to happen over the last decade. And IU East, uh, if I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't, they, didn't you guys have a deep run in the NAI tournament for basketball in the past couple of years? 
Uh, two of them, or at least if you'll consider Elite Eight to be a deep run. But uh, uh, two years ago, the, the men's team, uh, really out of nowhere, uh, was the number seven. They have four eight-team brackets, so we were the number seven seed in one of those eight-team brackets. Just killed the number two seed in the first <laughs> round, and that kind of propelled us uh, to the final four. Uh, and then followed it up with a uh, run to the Elite Eight last year uh, on the men's basketball side. Uh, and then women's basketball, I can't leave them out. Uh, only three years old as a program. Um, in year two, which was two years ago, uh, made it to the national tournament. And then last year, in just the third year as a program, made it to the Sweet 16. So, uh, yeah, it's been a real fun time uh, basketball-wise around here. Um, our coaches are going to kill me for me bringing this up, but we just opened a new building last year. Uh, they're not going to kill me for saying that. But we actually ran the table on both sides last year didn't lose a single game men's or women's side so uh, here we are with a two-year-old building and we've never lost a, a basketball game in there uh, i know my coaches are gonna see this like don't jinx it but it's been a real fun time with basketball the last couple of years cool so um going back to when you first started at iu east did you have to start from scratch as far as getting a digital presence or i i know that you kind of started that uh, uh red wolf sports network thing so how, how did that process go I won't say from scratch. Uh, that wouldn't be fair okay. to um, my predecessor. There were a couple of student-type SIDs uh, mm -hmm. before me, so I don't want to um, denigrate their work at all. Uh, so there was a very basic website. It was a, a, a simple WordPress site. Uh, all it was was text. You couldn't put box scores or standings or anything of that nature. Uh, so that was the ball was already rolling as far as developing an SID help site, which uh, not to go all acronym on people, but uh, SID help has the websites for well over half, and I may be selling them short, but if you're looking at an NAIA website, chances are you're looking at a SID help website. So the ball was rolling on that, uh, but as far as having more than just stories, um, that was something I got to get the ball rolling on, um, making sure there was a stats presence, making uh -huh. sure that there were rosters, which, you know, on a WordPress site you couldn't really do, uh, making sure all those rosters had uh, a biography with it, which uh, we've been pretty good about here at IU East, uh, taking the next step, adding videos to it. Um, so starting from scratch, not quite. Um, I did, and I actually came in, my first day on the job was five days before the first volleyball match that year. So it was uh, uh, moved back from Florida on a Saturday. Uh, I watched Tiger Woods blow the 2009 PGA Tournament on a Sunday, uh, get to work on Monday, and covering volleyball on Friday. So you talk about quite the whirlwind. So um, the school year was already started, so there's only so much you can do once the year is going. But um, as the year progressed, we tried to get things in place. Uh, we switched over to our current, not our current look, but our current right. website company that year, and then it's been just a, a building process ever since. But uh, my golly, that first week was a whirlwind because I, I was uh, the editor of a paper in Florida on Friday. The, I'm a little off on the dates. On Friday the 10th, and then covering IU East Volleyball on Friday the 17th. Um, <laughs> That's not something I would encourage anyone to try. It was it was exhilarating at the time, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I was drink, going through quite a few Mountain Dews at the time. So yeah, like you said, you just you, you had to get some sort of energy somewhere. But what was that like for for yourself and your family that had to move, you know, get up from Florida and go all the way back to Indiana and then have to get up and work the next day? And uh, we did it in pieces. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I should put my wife on the podcast because she had to do the brunt of the moving. Um, but uh, thankfully, again, all of our parents were here, so uh, we had a place to go. We didn't have to totally go into a brand-new house or anything. We stayed with – my parents were gracious enough to uh, have us with them for a good chunk of time to get our back on our feet. Uh, the fact that our son was nine months old and they were more than happy to have him around, I think, had a, a little bit to do with uh, how willing they were to have us. Uh, she actually – my wife did the brunt of the moving. I have to give her the credit for this. Uh, I went up and got things going because the season was started, um, and it's one of those things where, yeah, you could take your time, but then you're that much further behind when you arrive. So it made sense to, to be here for the start of the season. Not only did my wife do the move, but she did it in the middle of a tropical storm. Huh. Um, so I left, left her with a house full of things to move, a nine-month-old baby and uh, a moving van. And uh, she did have some help, of course, but uh, a tropical storm, I forget the name, moved in. Uh, so... Not only did she get to do all the moving, but I had to contend with a tropical storm in the middle of all that. So uh, it's one of those things that uh, people say when you're in a situation, you'll find a way to get it done. And that's really what it was. Uh, I was focusing on the work end. And, um, yeah, I haven't covered a, a high-level volleyball match in a decade. Uh, you know, I hadn't done the this, this stat software. I'd seen it, but I hadn't truly been on the operating end. Uh, 
Yes, we had to move cross country. If you're in the situation, you find a way. Um, you, you can always sleep sleep later. Um, were there a lot of sleepless nights then? Oh, absolutely. But uh, when you're in a situation, especially that when you're getting to, um, again, there are a few student assistants before me, but in uh, this case, truly create your own sports information department. Uh, if you want to be in pr- this profession, uh, if that's not going to give you energy, I don't know what is. So um, yeah, it's funny to look back on now, and at times we look back on how on earth did we get through it, but at the time, it, if it's something you want to do, uh, yeah, you, you find the energy. So going back to some of your professional tenure stuff, um you just completed, I'm reading off the release right now, you completed a multi-year term serving as the conference's administrative council as an at-large member. You guys helped out with uh, uh, scheduling some conference games, and some people don't get to do that a whole lot. So uh, I'm kind of interested. Uh, behind the scenes, what does it take to kind of schedule conference games and you know facilitate that between all institutions? And that's kind of a new uh, initiative on behalf of the conference. Uh, before, it was kind of every coach, it was up to them. It wasn't horribly, I want to make sure I picked the right word. You want to make sure you maintain competitive balance. And sports like basketball, uh, up until only a couple of years ago, is a double round robin. So as far as like one school playing more home games than another school or things like that. That wasn't really a big issue. But uh, schools like, uh, or I'm sorry, sports like uh, volleyball, for instance, I I don't want to pick on them, but it's a really good example. Uh, For many years, there was about 10 conference matches. There were years where we would have seven at home, which was great, but it wasn't really fair. Uh, Then you'd turn around a future year and you'd only have three at home, which not only was it not great, but it also wasn't fair. Uh, And a lot of it was it just wasn't a balanced way of doing things. So uh, the conference, started, the initiative about two years ago, this is coming up on the third year, uh, I hate to use the word takeover, but to uh, have a committee to, to work on the schedules to make sure that inequities like that don't happen. Um, so and a lot of it is um, I, I do a good chunk of the legwork as far as actually making the schedule. Um, there's plenty of uh, freeware things out there as far as, um, you know, team one plays team two, team three plays team four, and then you just plug school names in there as far as the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, but there's a lot of things behind the scenes you have to consider to try to keep it balanced. Uh, for baseball, for instance, um, they really don't care if they play like five weekends in a row at home as long as they're doing it in good weather. Right. Whereas uh, the basketball coaches, if you told them they weren't going to play at home for five weeks, that is not going to go over so well. So uh, things like weather, you got to keep balanced. Um, basketball, the big uh, – obstacle we have is that there's 13 teams, which is just not a really good number for um, making a clean, efficient schedule. Uh, we've made it work, but uh, that's one of the challenges you have to deal with is if there's an odd number of teams. Uh, soccer, uh, actually, we've got several schools where soccer is their homecoming sport. So uh, the homecoming date gets set by factors that don't necessarily have anything to do with soccer. So you got to make sure that you've got the correct teams at home when it's their homecoming week. Um, and then you might think, okay, and then the next year you just reverse it. Whoever was at home is away. Uh, well, that doesn't necessarily work if a school's got their homecoming week the same corresponding week each year. So you got to move everything around uh, to make sure that whoever needs to be at home for homecoming is indeed at home. Uh, just a lot of little things. I, it's like a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle would be the best way I could put it. Um, there is a way, um, but there's only one way it's going to work, and if one piece is out of out of uh, out of the puzzle, and you keep trying to assemble it, you're going to have a not very good looking picture in the end. So uh, it's been a challenge. Uh, there's things you learn the first time through that um, improves it for the next time through. Uh, basketball, for instance, uh, I'll plead guilty to. We had way too many home and away streaks. Uh, we had teams playing five or uh, six home or um, away games in a row, which of course is too many. Uh, we figured out some ways to make sure it didn't happen. Um, it just uh, the more you, like anything, the more you do something, the better you get at it. Uh, we've got it to where you know not everyone's going to be happy with this, but uh, for the most part, I think we've got a pretty fair and balanced and uh, effective system that also is uh, fair for the students and uh, makes them more competitive. The competitive balance thing is a lot more fair now than maybe it was when we first started this. Uh, I know you kind of mentioned those home and away streaks, but I'm just curious, what was you know. After you got done with the scheduling, you looked at the schedule and you're like, oh, crap. Did you have any of those moments to where it was kind of like, you know, either a coach or administration had, had an issue with the way you guys scheduled things? Oh, yeah. And uh, I don't want to call it – the term we use is have feedback as opposed to, to right. having an issue. It just obviously sounds a lot less confrontational. <laughs> uh, actually, I just had one of those uh, – 
oh crap moments uh, we were working on the baseball schedule for 2019-20 and everything I'm about to say was totally my fault and if I'd been a little more proactive about things the things I'm about to say wouldn't have happened um, but you want to try to keep home away home away so you don't want for instance we have a team in Owensboro Kentucky not far from where you're sitting uh, we've got another team in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania we don't want if you if Owensboro goes, which is Brescia, goes to Point Park and Carlo one year, we don't want them making the same trip the next year because that's a – I don't even want to know how many hours it is. I think yeah. it's at least 12 hours. Uh, something they should only be doing every other year. You don't want that happening back-to-back years. So anyway, I was going to make the 2019-2020 baseball schedule. When I did that, I looked at not the 2017 baseball schedule as it was played, but how it was scheduled. And the reason that was a problem is a lot of teams, if they have bad weather in, say, Pittsburgh, but it's clear as a bell in Cincinnati, then Point Park will go to CCU for the sake of getting the, the, the game done. But then they switch the next year. Well, I didn't check those. So there were several matchups that on the original schedule were scheduled to take place at a certain place in 2017, and that's what I copied for 2019. But it had actually been switched for weather purposes. Uh, and so some coaches, and they were 100% right, they're like, uh, you're making us go the same place back-to-back in 2018-19 because we switched this year. And as you said, oh, crap. And it was a simple thing. If I just made a few phone calls, I wouldn't have put myself in that position. And it resulted in, uh, and I'm not complaining, but uh, the, that particular heifer had to start from scratch because there's, uh, again, there's teams you don't want playing at home in March. There's teams you do want playing on the road in April. Um, yeah, so nothing quite that dramatic, I don't think, but uh, we do have some, throughout the what we call the scrubbing process, we find some, oh, this team's on the road for all of December or just things of that nature. Uh-huh. Um, early on, uh, we kind of scheduled ourselves in knots where we weren't able to extricate ourselves from those situations quite as easily. Uh, now we've done it enough that we've got some, some fixes for things. But, uh, um, yeah, especially in the early days and even last month, uh, there, there are some, some oh, crap moments that you run into. So now that we're going to start getting into some uh, conference questions and the uniqueness of that conference, both historically and as of right now, I just want to get through. You were named the River States Conference SID of the Year uh, for the 2016-2017 academic year. Go ahead and just tell everybody what that meant to you. I mean, did you expect to get it? What is the process that goes behind that? I don't think you ever expect to get it. Um, the voting is done by both the athletic directors and the SIDs, so I was aware that I was one of the nominees, but uh, that is definitely one set of uh, chickens you don't want to count before they're hatched because there were some, some great, there's always some, some great candidates up for this particular award. Uh, and when it was told to me, uh, email from our commissioner, Scott McClure, uh, it was on a weekend, so it was a very nice uh Pleasant surprise for the weekend. Uh, my favorite tennis player is Andre Agassi, and there's a he attributes himself saying after his famous fa- final match, he gave a great speech on the court. Then he goes into the locker room and got a standing ovation from the players. And basically, he said something to the effect of, "There's no applause that means more to you than the applause that you get from your peers." Uh, I, I second that notion. Uh, any applause is great, but uh, to get that kind of uh, applause in the form of this award. Uh, from your peers, which is uh, the fellow SIDs and athletic directors that voted for it, uh, there, there's very few things that mean more to you than that uh, for the same reason. So uh, not to steal all my quotes from Andre Agassi, but from his book, from that last match, uh, that's very much the, the thoughts that were going through my head at the time. Uh, real quick, because my mom is watching it downstairs right now, and she's trying to get me to go down there. How are you watching Wimbledon? Uh, a lot, especially it was great to have uh, the last few days off uh, for the July 4th holiday. Um, I'm a, I don't dislike any of the current players. When I was younger, I was, yay Agassi, yay Agassi, and I hope Pete Sampras lost every match. Uh, now, of the current crop, my favorite is Novak Djokovic, although he's uh, quite a bit in the doldrums right now. Um, so he's who I hope wins it, but any of the... Uh, the top guys, whether it's Roger Federer or uh, Rafael Nadal or any of them, I'll be I'll be fine with it if they win. Uh, women's side, um, Venus Williams is actually an IU East graduate. Uh, uh, with the so many of the the online programs are really IU East based in the early days and still now for of the IU online programs. So uh, uh, Venus Williams is actually an IU East graduate. So of course, anytime she plays somewhere, we're pulling pretty hard for her to win. Uh, as well as there's actually several IU East graduates in the draw. Uh, 
they don't all have seven Grand Slam singles titles to their credit. But uh-huh. uh, uh, there's a long list. Uh, Monica Puig, who won the Olympic gold medal on women's tennis, uh, also an IUE student. So uh, actually quite a few IUE connections uh, that we're keeping an eye on anytime there's a, a tournament of this magnitude. So how do you communicate that with that? Because I didn't know that. I'm sure that there's like not a whole lot of people that, that know that sort of thing. So how do you communicate that with, with your, your alumni base and it, your prospects? It depends students? on the players. Uh, they do have to give us permission to, to use their, their likeness, so to speak. Uh, thankfully, uh, Venus herself has always been very proud of it. Uh, she's actually retweeted some of our posts from the IU East Athletics account, and you can always tell when it happens, like, 4,000 retweets, what the, and then, uh, then we find out that it's because uh, uh, Venus took an interest that day. Um, but whatever, uh, I know when she graduated, she was uh, had an opportunity to come to campus, so uh, she was really gracious. Uh, what I really liked about her visit, she went out of her way to meet the students. Um, now, I wasn't a student, so, yeah, I would have liked if she'd taken a lot more time to meet the sports information director, but she wanted to meet fellow students. And uh, really, that's uh, the best thing she could have done. She really went out of her way. She wanted to meet students, people who are going through the same thing she did, whether it was online or in person. Uh-huh. Uh, a few others have visited campus as well. Um, and just whenever it happens, you know, we, we have a great, um, not only through the sports information side, but the um, uh, marketing side as well. They shouted as high from the rooftops as they can. Um it doesn't always make ESPN, uh, but there's been times where uh, Venus, uh, when she actually first enrolled at IU East, she showed up at Wimbledon uh, wearing IU East gear, and at the time, she, we hadn't finished the paperwork as far as uh, being able to promote her presence as a student, so we couldn't say much, uh, and I was recruiting for tennis at the time, and I had my phone blowing off the hook from tennis recruits, why is she wearing IU East? And uh, at the time, I would say something like, well, we know she's really into fashion, and uh, our stuff's really cool, uh, which wasn't quite true at the time, uh, but once it became okay to, uh, once she herself started promoting the fact she was a student, that made it a lot easier, and uh, especially with the tennis recruits, um, we always like, hey, you could uh, be a tennis player at IU East just like uh, Venus Williams was so um, it's, it's something we uh, it, if nothing else it's a great conversation starter uh, to have those connections so uh, shifting back to the conference it used to be called the Kentucky Intercollegiate Athletic Conference but as you said you pointed out you guys are in Richmond Indiana which I'm home right now in Madison is about what an hour away from me north and then you got you know schools in Owensboro Kentucky which I guess makes sense because it's Kentucky, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Cincinnati, Ohio. So something needed to be done about you know the brand of the conference. It just wasn't Kentucky-based anymore. And, and as we kind of talked about off-air, you were kind of a part of the initiative to um, you know, rebrand, and, and like I've said before, to the River States Conference. So how, first off, how did that conversation get started? And it was actually a five- or six-year process. Uh, it's definitely not as simple as uh, snapping your fingers and coming up with a fancy new name and changing the logo a little bit. I mean, this was a very involved five-year process. Um, and I was, I guess you would say I was on the inner periphery, if you will. I don't want to give myself too much credit because there were a whole bunch of people that were on the inner workings, but I was close enough to those inner workings to kind of see how it went. Uh, the initial stages, as you described, it got to a point where um, – it was right now the breakdown happens to be eight schools from outside Kentucky, uh, five schools from in Kentucky. And so, yeah, the, the name didn't match the membership at that point. It was getting to where there were more and more from out of Kentucky, uh, less and less in Kentucky. Uh, the tricky part of that is uh, it really is one of the longest, maybe even the most longest uh conference with the same name in not just the NAI, but all of college sports. Um, Someone can double check me on this, but my understanding is every college in the state of Kentucky, uh, with the exception of Kentucky itself, but we're talking Louisville, Western Kentucky, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of ones that are pretty prominent at the Division I level, uh, were part of the KIAC at one point or another. And it was actually coming up on the 100th anniversary of the conference, so which was 2016. Uh, And so there was a good chunk of folks with good reason that didn't, didn't want to just throw all that history away either. So you've got, you know, a hundred years worth of great history on one hand. Uh, on the other hand, you've got a name that, to be blunt, it didn't really fit the membership at the time. Uh, the compromise, we'll say, that was kind of worked out was uh, the KIAC name, or the Kentucky name, was kept through 2016, which... Uh, meant we were able to hit 100 years with that name. So there's just not a whole lot of conferences out there 
I'm sure you can only count on one hand that can actually use, say, hey, we made it to 100 years with the same name. That was a really neat thing to be able to do. And as things turned out, we probably needed all the time we could get. Uh, the process of actually picking a name uh, was very involved. Um, basically, anyone and everyone that had a dog in the fight was invited to submit some names. And then someone, it may have been our commissioner at the time, Bill Melton, or someone working for Bill, but basically they took every possible suggestion and then every uh, word that was used and then put together every reasonable combination of words you could have. So it could be River States League, River League, River Conference, River States Conference, River, you know, and that's just with the river part, and that's not even counting the many other different concepts that were considered at the time as well. So we took that list, um, or I shouldn't say we, the, the athletic directors and the presidents took that list, um, got down to ones that made sense where it was pretty clear that river was going to be part of it in some way, shape, or form. Uh, the reason why is because the Ohio River touches all of the states right. that have member schools. So uh, the Ohio River, it starts in Pennsylvania, it winds through and then around Ohio as well as Indiana and Kentucky. Uh, St. Louis College of Pharmacy was in the league at the time as well, and then uh, they were in Missouri, and Ohio River deposits in the Missouri, or I'm sorry, the Mississippi River, so that connection was there as well. Um, so it came down to the word river was going to be in there somehow. Um, there was a little bit, I won't say controversy, but uh, Ohio River Conference was a possibility, which you being from Madison, you know there's a high school conference in Indiana, the Ohio River, I believe it's athletic conference. Uh, 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 I think it's ORVC, Ohio River RVC, Valley. Yeah. Ohio River Valley Conference. That was actually one of our finalists, and uh, we in particular, and uh, i got to believe IU Southeast as well, you know, you don't want to use a name that's already has a good use as right. it is. So uh, that's how that kind of um, was eliminated. And it finally just came down to we wanted river. Uh, people liked river states as opposed to river valley or river region or all the many words you could put in front of river. And it, people liked conference rather than they liked league or the other words you could use. So it's kind of neat. I wish I still had that. I mean, it was pages and pages and pages of permutations of words. And uh, so that's how it got picked for that. Uh, then there's quite a bit of stuff on the legal side uh, without going into too much detail. But uh, if you've got a bank account, if you've got copyrights, uh, all these, you're doing business as the KIAC for all this time, so it's not the easiest thing to get that switched over. Uh, then there was the process of the logo itself, which uh, took about a year to narrow that down. Uh, that was interesting itself. Uh, uh, the gentleman and the company that uh, helped us with the logo basically took images from every other conference that remotely used the word river, and then we told him concepts that we liked, not necessarily actual logos, but just concepts and schemes. Uh, that's how it became the, the logo that was picked. And then it was several months uh, building up to the grand unveiling, uh, which occurred at uh, Indiana University Southeast. Uh, we mentioned uh, Stephen Oots, the sports information director there, uh, as well as Kevin Taylor, the sports information director at Point Park. Uh, they had a most, if not all, of the work on the sports information side, uh, making that a go. Uh, so the launch was a, a really successful thing. We're more than a year into it now. Um, and again, it took every bit of five years to make it happen and to, to make it happen effectively, which we think has been a good thing. We talked to several of our coaches. It's been kind of a reboot on the athletic side. And they say just in the year, um, being attached to this new name as opposed to any, I won't say stigma, but some of our mm -hmm. sports weren't as strong at the national level as we prefer in the past. Now that we've got this fresh start and a lot of teams doing well at the national level, uh, it, it's really helped as far as uh, even national tournament bids uh, over the last year. Do you guys still have any problems with you know people start, still trying to use KIAC? Uh, there's a few. There's a, a process I'm involved in right now. Um, I can't go into too much. It's not a bad secret or anything, but uh, uh, the people on the phone calls like, yeah, we know you're part of the KIAC, and like, no, we're not. <laughs> so th there are still a few, uh, but it's been getting that question as opposed to the question we used to get from recruits, which was, why are you in the Kentucky conference, or why is it called that when you're not in Kentucky? Uh -huh. I would take that question any day over the types of questions we used to get over why was that name even used, and uh, give it a couple years, and um, I'm sure we won't be getting that question at all. So, um, moving to the part where I like to ask some fun questions, um, last, first off, again, I have to say it again, congratulations on being named SID of the Year, and that was a fun little, I, I, always, I was always curious about, you know, what it takes to rebrand, I know we talked to uh, Brandon Stewart uh, on this pod uh, a couple months ago, I think, from Ursuline, Ursuline, not Ursuline, sorry Brandon, <laughs> um, 
about them changing the rebrand of the arrows and the logos and everything. Always been real interesting process, and nobody's really, you know, kind of done that uh, as far as uh, the conference level is concerned. So good, glad you're here. Nice little tidbits of information. So, um, what is your favorite memory from your professional tenure so far? Favorite memory, probably. That's a tough one. Um, probably the one I'm going to remember the most is the game that put the men's basketball team in the Final Four, uh, not this past year, but the year before. Uh, it was a great game. I mean, I would say that, I think, even if we'd lost the game. Uh, but, again, we were the seventh seed. We were playing the number one seed in the bracket, which was Briarcliff, uh, which was basically a bunch of six four guys that could all shoot from about 30 feet. It was just a team full of, it felt like a team full of Stephen Curry's. It felt like just anytime we turned around, they were hitting a three. Uh, We played a really good game um, to stay with them. Uh, Came back from 10 points down in the last seven minutes. um, And then, uh, our top player that year, Lucas Huffman, who was named uh, not only an All-American but an academic All-American, uh, got a wide open for a layup on the left side. Uh, if I remember right, Briarcliff was out of timeout, so there's no time to really process that at all. They had to come right with it. Uh, we were able to force a steal. Uh, Nick Bullenbacher, who made the steal, threw the ball to the, the rafters, and uh, that was that. And um, My radio call, uh, the, the technical folks maybe would have said it was terrible, but just at 120 decibels, we're going to the final four just because that's when it all hit at the at the same time. So um, there's been a lot of happy memories, but uh, just the the magnitude of it to, to reach that level, uh, which no IUE's team in any sport had been fortunate enough to do as far as making the final four, um, I'm going to remember that one for a long, long time. So what about on the other side of the coin? What's your horror story? Horror story, this is more on the profession side, not as far as uh, winning or losing a certain game. Um my first year doing volleyball stats, again, I hadn't done volleyball for ages. Uh, I had five days on the job. Uh, it was 2009, so it wasn't fully expected to have live, live stats yet. So that first year I did all paper. Uh, I traveled to every event and watched the people who did do the volleyball live stats on their own. And um, after watching them and spending the summer practicing, I was ready to do volleyball live stats on my own. So I thought. So our first event is at the Grace College Tournament. Um, the way I do it, it's not common, I don't think, but basically I write down every touch on a notepad during the point, and I'm a pretty fast typer, so usually I can get the point typed in during the dead ball. So occasionally I get a point or two behind, but never catastrophically behind. Well, that first day I'm writing down all the points, I'm typing in the points as I go, and only about half a game in do I realize uh, we're playing against Grace. Um, the Grace numbers are not showing up. So I've got all of our stats and none of Grace, and we're halfway into the match, and they most assuredly do not stop the match for you to let the stat keeper get caught. Right, yeah. So, again, and this is my first try doing volleyball live stats. I mean, everyone's had a computer crash or something since then, but this is the first try doing volleyball. Uh, somehow I actually did get caught up by the end of the match. And, again, since everything's on paper, nothing's wrong. I mean, I was going to get caught up eventually regardless. Uh, but that moment looking up and seeing that all of the IU East numbers were there and somehow – to this day, I still don't know why, because it hasn't happened. Let me knock on wood again. It hasn't happened since, but why that day our opponent didn't show up whatsoever, um, that is a feeling I've never had professionally-wise before, and it's a feeling I don't care to have again. See, that seems to be a lot of people's horror story happens to evolve volleyball. Um, when you see other SIDs in your conference division, maybe even the country, uh, and you look at them and you say, that is a good SID, what are some characteristics or some things that they do that make you say that? Uh, probably the most important thing, and maybe this is selfishly speaking, but uh, and I try to do this myself, but basically getting the results turned around in a, a reasonable amount of time. Uh, ideally, within a few moments after the game ending, uh, hopefully especially if there's a doubleheader, within an hour or so after the conclusion of the doubleheader, whether it's soccer or baseball or basketball or whatever the sport, uh, just because without that visitor's file, you can't go around, you can't write your game recap, uh, you can't send the results to your local media. I mean, you're totally in a holding pattern, even if you watch the game on video, uh, until you have that stats file. So the ones that um, get you the results right away or within some sort of reasonable, timely fashion uh, – they go very high to my list right away. Uh, otherwise, the ones that uh, just have new cool stuff, and there's obviously too many to list. Uh, within our conference, for instance, uh, Point Park just uh, uh, redid their website, uh, again, through SID Help. Uh, they did some things that are 
really good as far as uh, how it shows up on the mobile site. Uh, so at the recent conference meeting uh, with the athletic directors, uh, Kevin and I were both there, and basically I sat down with him in the lobby and was like, okay, I'm going to steal every idea you just had. Uh, tell me what these are. <laughs> uh, so, again, it's too long of a list to try to name names, but anyone that has an idea that essentially is worth stealing, and there's lots of them, and I've stolen lots of them, uh, definitely always look up to I'm always looking for people who are doing things well that can help me do things better. What about uh, one thing you're interested in to learn more about in this profession? Hmm, good question. You never do stop learning. Probably more effective social media. Our, our number of followers is good. Um, our interaction is good. If you actually count our number of followers, it's reasonably high within the NAIA. But there's some who do it, and they get just tons of likes and follows uh, for each individual thing they post. I mean, it's one thing if you have 10 million followers. We don't. But uh, but if you're tweeting things and none of your 10 million followers are actually interacting with it, it's nice, but it's not really doing you as much good. Uh, but there are people who they may have only 500 followers, but all 500 of them are liking or retweeting or reposting uh, whenever something is posted. So uh, the ones that get really good interaction on their social media, and then also just people who are getting not just making a good video, uh, but also getting good response to their videos. Uh, there's some, it looks pretty sharp to me, but only three people are watching it. And then there's other things where maybe it is or isn't, sharp as far as ESPN quality, uh, but everyone's watching it and passing it on to their friends. So um, as I mentioned, uh, that's something I wish I could kind of go back and redo since I didn't do much video uh, during my educational experience. I I've taught myself and gotten help uh, here uh, to where I can do a reasonably good job, uh, but then to take the next step and do a reasonably good job that everyone and their brother is watching, whether they're connected to IU East or not, those are things. Anyone that has tricks on those, uh, it's uh, writekj.iue.edu. Um, I'll take any ideas I can get. Uh, how about one piece of advice you give to a student going into this profession? Um, most likely you're going to have an opportunity to work alongside someone. Um, do it. Um, it. I don't like to speak negatively about anyone. There's lots of people that fit this description, but it amazes me, uh, even here at IU East, uh, we're always in need of student help, and there's some that um, don't do it, and then so they don't have any experience, uh, and then they turn around and wonder why we're not hiring them for an assistant SIG job when they haven't actually, like, hey, you yeah. had a chance to help us in the last couple of years. Uh, uh, so not just for getting a job sake, but by golly, the, the stuff you're actually going to learn in those two or three or four years uh, when you're working alongside an SID, um, just the knowledge you're going to get, um, not to mention the connections you're going to have as far as getting a job, but um, – you know, even if you're not helping your own school, uh, write for the local paper or help out with the local radio station or do something just to get the experience. Because uh, uh, coming out of college, you know, you're going to be competing. Everyone you're competing with is going to have a college degree. Uh, what are you going to have along with that college degree? So ideally, help your fellow SID at whatever school you're at. If for whatever reason, if they don't have student workers or they're already booked, uh, chances are the local paper or the local radio station or maybe even local TV station, they're going to need help of some kind. Uh, so definitely make sure to, to take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, Work-life balance. What do you do to have fun? Um, tennis, I still play a little bit. Um, frisbee golf, which I found I lose a heck of a lot fewer <laughs> of those than I do actual ball golf. So uh, I'm big into that. They've actually built two courses in Richmond since I've been here. When I came here, there were none. So uh, props to the, the people that have done that. Um Sports history, um, in addition to that Valpo uh, book I told you about, um, I have a NBA, not exactly best-selling, but uh, an NBA book out there. It's called the NBA from top to bottom. Um, I have a computer formula I use, a very basic formula to rank teams. So uh, I plugged every NBA team in there. This was back in 2007 when stats weren't quite as widespread as they are now. Mm -hmm. And I uh, got a book based out of that. Um, and then military history as well. I guess that's the one that's farthest out of the box. But if you give me a good military history book, I will read it right away. So uh, those are the things that uh, keep me busy when I'm not uh, at an IUE sporting event. And you mentioned it uh, when we started this podcast, or this episode, basically. But Richmond is this place where you stop to eat, whether you're going into Ohio, coming out of Ohio. So where is the best place to eat in Richmond? Uh, I'm going to keep it local, of course. Um, probably... I'm going to shout out to uh, a couple, actually, because they're back-to-back, -back, but they're uh, Little Sheba's, which is a sandwich shop, uh, and then 
essentially on the back of it is a place called uh, Firehouse Barbecue, which is newer. Mm. Uh, they actually took a actual firehouse and made it into a barbecue restaurant. So if you're so inclined, you can go down the pole like the firemen would have when they were going to a fire and then have yourself some good food afterwards. So uh, I definitely don't want to leave anyone out, but because they are back-to-back, uh, on a good day you can uh, bike there from, from the IUE's campus, and you're definitely going to get some good food. Uh, if we're going local, those are a couple of places you can find us pretty often. And, and final thing, uh, you mentioned it just a little bit ago. Best way to get in touch with you if anybody had any questions, follow-up stuff, what's the best way to get in touch? Sure. Uh, email, which uh, is W-R-I-G-H-T-K-J, or writekj, at iue.edu. Um, and honestly, if it's something, uh, my phone, I'm a phone call away, 765-973-8567. And if I'm if you don't want, if you didn't write those down the first time, just do a Google search for Kyle Wright and IU East, or just IU East in general. Uh, all my contact information is there. Don't do a search for me because there's a former Miami uh, Hurricanes quarterback and I believe an actual baseball prospect that have my name. So uh, to actually find me, I'm about page ten of the Google search for Kyle Wright. But <laughs> Kyle Wright plus IU East, uh, you'll be able to track me down that way. Uh, where can people find your book? Um, the Valpo one, uh, I guess you could say it's out of print. The NBA one, it's actually, um, I'm not saying you're going to drive down to your own Barnes & Noble and find it there, but it is available through them online. So uh, just do a search for uh, the NBA from top to bottom. Um, I will say, again, it was written in 2007, so uh, we've had a lot of NBA history since then. If you're wondering where the Warriors are going to place, the answer is they're not because uh, Steph Curry was still at Davidson at the time. Uh, but just as a fun little thing if people want to pick it up and uh, see what we thought of uh, the best teams through 2007 as well as the worst teams and a whole bunch of things in between, uh, NBA from top to bottom, uh, and it's through online through most major booksellers. And there you have it, everybody, episode 29 of SID Cast with Kyle Wright of IU East Red Wolves up in Richmond, Indiana. Kyle, thank you for coming on again. Congratulations on being named River, Conference, or River States Conference SID of the Year. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Hey, thanks. So, uh, as always, i got to do my spiel, guys. I know you have to listen to this. So, um, We're on our pursuit to get 500 followers on both Twitter and Facebook. Facebook, you're catching up to Twitter. I don't know how, much, how many times I have to say this, Twitter followers, but step it up because Facebook is catching you. So, um, yeah, we're on our way up. Again, be sure to look out for our new podcast, Go Big Cast. It's specifically for sports marketers. Kyle, I know you've mentioned that you're interested in some social media strategy things. Uh, I promise to have one of those guys in the first three episodes that we're going to pump out on August the 1st. And you can follow that at Go Big Cast on Twitter and backslash Go Big Cast on uh, Facebook. So, uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook using backslash Sports Infocast. And then thank you for downloading, subscribing, and rating and reviewing is important. Uh, we are averaging, I am excited to announce this, Kyle. I can't believe it because I never thought I'd get to the day where this actually happened. But we are averaging a five-star review on iTunes. So thank you to all who have reviewed. Again, it does take, it just proves that it takes just a, a second, just one second to give me either a five or a one. If you give me a one, perfectly fine. Doesn't bother me anymore. Used to maybe a couple years ago, but you do you now, so I'm not too bothered by it. So thank you all for listening, and we hope to catch you all in the next episode.